0: hey everyone and welcome back to another book podcast today is part two of georgina moore's episode except this week she's talking to one of our wonderful fiction editors carrie about both sides of publishing as an author and as a publicist Georgina and Carrie had such an incredible chat about the misrepresentation of middle-aged and older women within fiction, as well as giving out some great advice to current or aspiring authors. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. As per usual, a quick disclaimer. Despite any connections to the publishing industry, all opinions on books and biscuits are completely our own here at Another Book Podcast. So let's dive into this week's episode.
1: spoken to Olivia a lot about the book. So yeah. I won't duplicate all of that, but I did want to say that um, I definitely was Team Rachel, ah. but um, Margot struck me as a real sort of Jewish mother, <laughs> I despite love not being remotely Jewish. But just that you know, overriding concern, but sometimes getting a little bit too involved. But the stereotypical Jewish yeah. mother, if you know what I mean. She can't does quite get let to... the
2: chicks go. She can't let them go. It was interesting that you say Team Rachel because my publisher did a quiz. And you to find out who you were. And um my editor, the, the lovely Kate Mills at HQ got uh Rachel and um, I think Kath, my agent, got Imogen. And then when I did it I was like I got Margot <laughs> and I was like I was on the email chain going, I can't believe it, I got Margot, I don't think and everyone just went, Yeah, of course you did <laughs> and I was like, Oh.
1: I like that a lot. <laughs> um so you're at Midas now, and mm. before that you were at Headline.
2: So how long have you been in the business altogether? It's a long time, Carrie. <laughs>
1: um, I know our paths go back yeah. a long way over the years.
2: Yeah, so I, you know, let, let's say uh, over 20 years in the business. I think that's always always good. Yeah, um, I was a long time at Headline, running the press office there. And then it was about, I suppose it must be about five years ago now, um... I wanted a plan B, um, and I, Jason Bartholomew, who's the CEO of Midas, said, you know, come and work with me. And I really liked the idea of, because I love the industry um, with my whole heart, um, I liked the idea of widening my publicity knowledge and interest in it so at Midas we you know look after Audible and we look after the Wyndham Campbell Prizes from Yale and we look after literary festivals like Cliveden and we look after London Book Fair and so really it's a it's an agency that's at the heart of the publishing industry and and I love that um and I was very lucky in that um Maggie O'Farrell whose publicity I've looked after for you know 13 years or something um came with me So I've been able to look after her publicity. But, yeah, it's fantastic. It was absolutely the right decision.
1: But those relationships with authors, I think you've kind of made it an art form. And at the moment, there's a lot of conversation about author care Mm. in a stretched industry. What
2: do you make of kind of what people are saying at the moment? Um, There's a lot, isn't there? There's a lot of publishing bashing. Um, And... I think it just really made me realise that my heart very much lies with publishing and I think some of the publishing bashing is quite unfair because I, as someone who's tried to recruit recently, it is really hard to recruit at the moment, post-Covid. I'm not sure why. I think people are... I think uh, we have found it fi- hard to find, uh, find pe- the right people. Um, I don't know why. I, I think people are a bit more cautious... Um, about moving jobs, or they want to move jobs a lot. (laughs) Or they want flexibility that perhaps this industry doesn't always allow. That's true. Although I do think, to be fair, there has been increased flexibility. Um, But yes, in terms of author care, there is just one main issue in publishing, and I would love for them to change it. Um, And I've always said this, which is that they grow the editors, they grow the imprints... Because it's all about the turnover and, and try, searching for that book that's going to be the next Bonnie Garmus. But what they don't do, and a lot of those imprints that have come into the market, like Dialogue, are amazing, publishing amazing books. And we'd love to have, we love all those imprints and we want them, we want more imprints. But what isn't happening is they are not supporting that with a growth in the PR and marketing teams. And so when, authors come to me at Midas and they have bad stories about their publicity experience I do often find myself defending the publicity department because I know that there is probably one person with eight titles that month trying to do their best job also they don't decide the publicist doesn't decide what the priority title is that comes down from above, from the managing director, from the editorial director, that the, the decisions are not made in the publicity department. So when your publicist is told that this is not a priority title, they can't always share that with the author, but that is what they have been told, and therefore they give a different service at that level, because if they service everything they weigh, the, the way they service the priority title, well, that just can't happen, because there's not the resource. So I do feel for those departments, and there is a lot of... Brilliant talent in publicity across publishing, um, but as we see, because we can see the evidence in some of the campaigns that you and I witnessed, you know, on socials. But you know, there's not enough of it on the midlist because there can't be because there's not enough resource. Um, and it's very hard for an author who oh, really you know, hard because really hard having
1: you know my first publishing deal. Mm. It is the most exciting thing mm. when you've loved books and it's something you've always wanted to do. Mm. Um, but so many of my friends are authors, and I hear the, oh. the good and the bad. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, as an editor, I try so hard to do the best for all my authors, mm. but there are only 24 hours in a day. And the, exactly. It, it's really hard, and you want every book to succeed. I mean, the desire is there, mm. but the hours and the practicalities maybe aren't always. And so that must be very hard, you know, as a publicist to kind of, particularly at the sharp end of that, to deal with. I,
2: it's really hard. And I think probably even more hard is when you work on a priority campaign, and we all know what they are when they come in. Yeah. They're, they're the books that you've had to, you know, fight off because there's been preempts and you know, ten uh, way auction. Yeah and and, yeah, and 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 that you are prior- there's a priority from the beginning, um, and that financially the publisher has to make them work. Yeah. Um, so. But when, when, you, when you do work on a campaign like that, and, and, and often the publicist, the marketer, the editor are as passionate about that book as the author themselves. There's so much real passion in publishing for books. Um, and you get everything right, you get everything lined up and it's a brilliant team effort and you have an author who works so hard and is grateful and wants to do everything going for it. And then something, you just don't know what it is. It's so hard to know. Something is missing and stops the whole thing firing off. I've seen it happen so many times. It's such an unpredictable... And often with such great books. Oh, with amazing books. And it could be anything. It could be an element of the jacket doesn't... Consumer doesn't understand the message or something's just not clicked. And, and, and I think that's probably one of the most frustrating things ever. But yes, on another level, there's a whole swathe of books who, you know, aren't getting the attention that they want or they deserve. Um, and we often get those authors now coming to us at Midas. But the only thing I would say, and it's not that much of a comforting message, I'm afraid, is that PR doesn't sell books in isolation. No. And I hate telling people that because I feel that sometimes people come to me and they think like I'm this kind of silver bullet and a magic ma- magician. And, I, and I'm not. And, and, and we no, no publicist is. Um, you know, and people have have seen what's happened with the Garnet Girls, and they've said to me, "Oh, you know, can you do that for me?" Well, well I can't because that wasn't just PR; that was an incredible, concerted, you know, year of early quotes and proofs and building of early readers and marketing, fantastic, really, really targeted marketing and marketing that adapted as they saw, you know, how things were being received and what was attracting people about it and a brilliant jacket. And
1: publicity is one part
2: of it. Publicity that. was one part of it. Yeah. And I was just one part of that. There, you know, there was the stuff that I was doing, but the, the team was doing it. You know, I'm really lucky, Carrie, because I, I know what should be done. And where I where where there were gaps, you knew how to fill them. Yeah, I just got on with it and and said I'm going to do this. And so now I'm this year, you know, I'm I'm taking the time. My children and and my partner are less than happy with me, but most weekends now until the end of the summer, I'm at literary festivals, and I really wanted to do that because I love as you can tell chatting and I but I will sort of go out and meet readers and I I know it's important but I'm lucky I'm able to do that you know I I have a flexible job I'm at a stage I support at home I I'm at a stage in my career where I feel secure and know I have value I you know I I, I'm financially stable I got a good book deal um so I'm well aware that the stuff I can do not everyone can do and I realize that I'm in a very very privileged position um and people can listen to me and say well it's all right for her to say she did all the hard work but she's able to do the hard work and i get that and also there are people who don't want to talk or don't want to talk about themselves or don't want you know who find it hard so i do really really feel um for authors but to go back to my point about publicity it's it doesn't work in isolation but what you can do And I try to be really, really honest when people come to Midas about what we can do. What you can do is help your profile, you can grow your social media, you can engage with other authors who will become invaluable to you for quotes or panel events or inviting you to festivals. Do You know, Carrie, better than anyone how this works um, in terms of support to other people and then support back to you. Um, you can write articles so that they're on your website, that you've got good social media content. Um, You can do a lot of things that means I've had authors come to me and just say, you know, I've got going to have in a year another book that I'm going to be sending out. I've got a bad sales track record on this book. I'm very worried about the position I want to be. I would like you to work with me on how I can, you know, improve my profile, improve my so that when I go out with my book, I'm in a different position. Yeah.
1: Because, you know, um, authors have always had to do stuff. You know, it's not. You, you, you can't sit back and wait for a publisher to do everything, even if you have that priority to campaign. You need to be active within it, unless you're Maggie O'Farrell, who's not on social media, mm. but that is very much the exception to the rule.
2: I think that's absolutely right. And my advice on social media is, you know, it is hard. It is hard. I mean, I, I, I know this sounds weird, but on, literally on my publication day, I think I was on social media all day because you know there were posts and there were people to reply to and and i i, I remember just walking around when I, but i a lot of people don't find it attractive or appealing the idea of having to be that person so my advice is find the um find the social media that suits you that works for you and um, my per, i think i did a tweet about this actually but my feeling now as an author which has changed from as a publicist is that goodreads you should avoid looking at instagram is a lovely place of joy twitter at the moment is very very hard um because you know but you can still have your community find the lovely book twitter go in support authors i do a lot about the books i'm reading um I get sent a lot of books, as I know you do, you do, and and I always want to tweet about them and post about them, and when I read them, you know, mm-hmm. share with them. So I use it. To, I I tend to use it as a place to be very positive, because I personally don't want to get drawn into um, vicious debate. But that's you know everyone each to their own but I think you can find and a lot of people do a lot with blogging or newsletters or substack um I know that there's a lot going on there there's a real growth in that area so I think find the thing that suits you I remember looking after Penny Vincenzi who I don't know whether you remember Carrie wrote I mean huge huge books the queen of the big book and that was after they were edited and her saying to me oh darling you know um I'm trying to write a tweet." And I've run out of words, and also some some dubious politics going on in those tweets. And I, in the end, I just said, Penny, we were very close. I looked after yeah. her for a while. I said, Penny, I, I really don't think Twitter's for you. Yeah. You know, find your medium. Find and stick your with medium. It.
1: Yeah. So, so, how's it been after all these years working on one side to switch to the other side?
2: Yeah, it's been it's been quite nerve wracking, actually. Um, I think that when the book went out to lots of people, I hadn't really thought it through. And then it was it was fantastic. It was a great reaction and, you know, lots of interest and everything. And then a lot of editors taking it to acquisition meetings. But, well, of course, in those acquisition meetings were publicists that had worked for me, marketers I knew really well. And I started getting all these texts going, we've got the Garnet Girls. Um, and I was like oh, my God, people are actually, you know, in the industry. It's
1: much harder being judged by people you know.
2: I think it is a bit. Anonymous
1: people behind meeting the doors, I think.
2: I remember waiting for Patrick Gale, and I had some people who I'm really pally with and who I know really well and who wouldn't, I would have known if they were lying. And I know I still, at my, it was so bad that I remember at my launch party, there were still people going, I overheard people going, oh, my God, thank God it's good. Can you imagine this about talking about me and my book, because they felt the same as I did, Mm. which is that if, if they hadn't liked it, what were they going to do? And I hadn't sort of realized that, yeah, that I would really feel that each time. And then I think I just, I, I think I got a few good things under my belt and I relaxed a little bit, but, um, it, it is strange and it has made me feel more sympathetic about the way you have to really put yourself out there. Um, and
1: yeah, I think you really are. Um, when Secret Diary came out in 2011, it was serialised in the mail and no-one had said, don't read the comments. Mm. Oh, no. I know. I know. And told I spent the, the weekend before, um, it was the Saturday edition, the weekend before publication, sitting on the floor crying, going, no-one told me about this. I think it can be really tough to be an author, even mm. if your book does well. And Really tough. It must be very interesting for you now to be in that position having helped so many people through it from the other way
2: I think as well I'm really glad I've done it at the age I am I think I would have got my head a bit turned by the excitement of it all and you know being on the bestseller list and all all, and some of the reviews and stuff whereas because I I feel like I'm and also I have good advice at home (laughs) From my harshest critic, who keeps me grounded, but I, I feel like I've kind of—I'm trying to keep in mind my own advice. I gave Harriet Tice reminded me of this because I did the campaign for her debut, Blood Orange, and she saw—yeah—and she saw me at a party and she said, "I hope you're following the advice you very sternly gave me," because of course it went brilliantly with Blood Orange, I and mean, she—she like me got an American deal and translation and bestseller. And I said to her, don't think this is going to happen on the second book and was very strict with her and did the kind of don't read the comments type advice. Um, And so I've tried to keep in my mind that advice to myself that, you know, this is the start of a very long journey. And then I'm not. And I am pleased that I'm older because I think actually I, I, I have been listening to my inner voice a bit. But it's still hard, you know, talking about the characters There was just so wonderful. But there are people who don't get them um who think they're narcissistic and privileged and you know annoying and 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 it's hard not to feel that in your heart um because as you heard when i was speaking about them they're they're real people to me so i still feel that but my you know i have people advising me and saying well if if there are people who love 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 them and want to talk to you for hours about them there's always going to be the opposite yeah
1: no i mean yeah no book is loved by everybody. No, of course not. And and that's because we all have different tastes. Yes. Uh,
2: I think that's it, it's one of those challenges to take on board, isn't it, when you
1: really hard because it is very it feels very personal yeah. even though it isn't it
2: feels yeah.
1: hugely personal. So is it something you always wanted to do or did it sort of creep up on you or come to you in a a moment of inspiration? It's so
2: funny because I Yes, at the, uh, the weekend I was going through small boxes of papers and I knew I'd written this book called Aurora of Willowdale when I was eight, which, as you can imagine, is a direct rip-off of Anne of Green Gables, which is one of my favourite books of all time. And I thought that was just a period I went through, sort of eight, nine, ten, and, you know, I didn't, we didn't have screens then, so I'm frustrated with my children because it takes them away from reading. I just read the entire time. It was my number I did it the whole time. And I was always scribbling in notebooks. And I thought that was... And then people have come out of the woodwork saying, do you remember at school you created this character? And I, So I thought it was a sort of 8 to 12-year-old. But then I found in my papers a lot of adolescent and 20-year-old me poems and love stories and terrible, terrible things. But... <laughs> It struck me. I said to I said to my son Sonny, "Goodness, I was just writing stuff down the whole time, and I'd forgotten." And then maybe you would suppressed it to yeah, do what you were doing. I wonder. And then it was always there underneath. I, I wonder if I did. Um, also, I was working in a bookshop after my degree, English degree, and. Um, i had written all these ridiculous letters (laughs) to publishing saying please make me an editor because that was the only job i knew about working in a bookshop honestly the best time i loved it i love being a bookseller and the reps i used to chat to all the reps that came in from publishing and one night there was a party for an author and there was someone running around looking after the author and getting them drinks and doing and i said oh i said to someone i said who does all that and they went oh well that's publicity and I was like it was like a light bulb ding, ding, yeah, ding. Yeah. and I was like well that's clearly the job for me and um not long after a publicity assistant came up at Hodder and Stoughton and off I went um and quite quickly realized you know it was the job for me because it involved people and fun but also you know quite strategic ability to get people to read books and and talk about books and I loved it and and I think it just it just blew up from there and I went all the way up but it's not a job with lots of spare time
1: no but uh, and that was my next question which is you know you you work full-time in a very demanding Mm. career uh you've got youngish children Mm how do you make time to write? Because I was struck at one of your rooftop book club mm. events with Maggie O'Farrell. Having made every excuse under the sun for not finishing the book that I've been working on for the last 12 years, I told my agent it would be done when my daughter started school. And then I said, in my defence, I never said primary school. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, now brilliant. we're at the stage of, but in America they call university school. So I, when Maggie O'Farrell talked about how in the two-and-a-half or two mornings a week that her daughter was at mm. nursery that was when she wrote mm. all these masterpieces i would realize that mm. if there's a will there's a way so how mm. do you in your crazy busy life yeah. make that time to write um
2: what i love about maggie is she always denies that um what, who is it who made the quote about the pram in the hallway there's a there's basically is it cyril Connolly? I think anyway someone made a quote about you know women's problem being the pram in the hallway and Maggie always counters it by saying that actually it was a huge blessing for her because when she came to the table she knew she had a limited amount of time, so she cut out all the sitting there wondering what she's supposed to be doing and dreaming away Parting and around on yeah, Twitter. And also, she doesn't do social media, so she's probably carry saved quite a lot of time. <laughs> um, but she, but she, you made her very focused, razor sharp, and has changed her writing, I think, quite a lot. Um, I. Wrote the book in Lock Garnet Girls in Lockdown. Found that getting up at the beginning of the day, because I wasn't going out, wasn't doing, was fantastic, and actually that still remains my sharpest time. So I can write quite fast and sharply in the morning. Um, but it's become more difficult now because I am going back out and to the you know, Women's Prize Part, and that, you know all these events are back, and I'm not very good at going home to bed early. Um, so. I don't know. At the moment, I've got a draft of my second book, so that's good. And I'm doing the hard bit, which is working on... I've got some brilliant notes from Kate and some character stuff I need to do. Um, and I ju- I've got Betsy the Boat, which is a huge thing because the children cannot be bothered to come down down the stairs, out through the back door onto the terrace, climb onto Betsy and come and get me. So they send me texts, which I can ignore or say I'm coming <laughs> in, you know. So, and, so that is good. I just, at the moment, I'm trying to squeeze in, I've taken a day from Midas, I said to Jason, I need a day, and that's made me feel, take it more seriously, but what of course has happened, as you know, I, that day recently, has been writing articles for the Americans, you know, all the admin, invoicing people for pieces I've written, you know, doing, updating my so website. all on the back end of the Garnet Girls rather yeah, than the writing exactly, the book. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And, I, you know, I've I've gone all out for the Garnet Girls because I know how important it is to make that splash on, on the, you know, so that you can build on it. Of course. Um, but, yeah, the next one needs its attention. But, yeah, I feel... I f- I'm feeling OK about it. I tell you why. Because if I go a couple of days and I haven't written, I don't feel great.
1: Yeah, so it's cathartic. mm
2: Yeah, I really miss it.
1: That's really good.
2: And I think it struck me for the first time that it's something just for me. I know now I'm sharing it with readers and stuff, but whereas a lot of what else I've been doing has been doing stuff for other people. Um, And now it's become a balance that I feel like I need, if that makes sense.
1: Mm. And it also shows the stories there. Waiting to connect, oh god, yeah. I
2: mean, the, I mean, that does, does does this happen to you? So I've got, I love my characters in book two. I really love them, and for me, I, as discussed, it's all about the characters. But I've had my idea for book three. Title and setting and everything, and it is calling to me so strongly. Um, but I'm not allowing myself because I you know I'll...
1: But write down those things that point yeah, to yeah. you because I, I find uh, when I'm swimming or walking yeah, yeah. ideas come to me and I think of course I'll never forget them and of course I do forget them instantly. Oh, so swimming's
2: annoying because you can't just <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you can't just whip out your phone and I write a voice note. We'd be on
1: Dragon's Den finding something for swimming writers yeah, yeah. with inspiration. That's a like great a idea. Waterproof dictaphone, I don't know.
2: Yeah, waterproof dictaphone. <laughs> be... Yes, no, you're right. I need to um I need to but I'm finding it's because this this, this this second draft is you know it's it's that hard work you've got it down but but the call of the the outline story is but yeah no the stories are the stories are definitely there um that's great so yes and and um i'm lucky with my publisher in that they you know they they want to keep because the garnet girls selling well in hardback still they want to keep it going all year which is great so it gives me so the paperback won't be till next year so it gives me some time Excellent.
1: Um, And one
2: last thing, Um, as you know, the
1: representation of Mm. older women in Mm. fiction is something that I um, feel very strongly about. And I still think that, you know, our lives have changed and yet fiction's been a little slow to catch up on the realities. Mm. And there's still a lot of stereotypes and cliches. And that's why I love Margot, because she's out there Mm. having that life. She really is. None of her... I'm going to sit in a corner and knit. And if you want to sit in a corner and knit at any age, that's obviously a great thing. Have you
2: heard a couple of events I've said really ill-advisedly, She's not sitting in a corner wearing a cardigan. Yeah. No. Well, <clears throat> as one who's currently I mean? sitting in a corner That's wearing was, a cardigan. But and I was like, cardigans yeah. are back. Someone said to me, You can't say that anymore about cardigans. I love and, cardigans. And also someone said you can't say that about knitting either. No. And and and
1: actually knitting is quite a cool thing to do. Now, yeah. But I'm using that yeah, as an example because we've all seen it, you know. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. The woman who can only post on social media when the young lad from next door comes to help her. Or women over 50 who don't have sex anymore. All of mm. these things, and she isn't like that at all. No. So was that something really important to you? Yes, to
2: do? that was that was the whole the whole thing. I mean, I've just written a, a piece about this actually for for the U.S. publication, My, and I, it made me realise that. Uh, you know the uh, my grandmother was a huge inspiration in this cuz the only time she had a fall was when she was in her 70s and it was because she was wearing stock you know stockings or what she would call hold up she was always complaining that fall with like high heeled mules and she was going and and she slipped she and slipped anyone was them. slip and but it was just so her and she was always right until the end the the center of the room I really wanted to capture that as a tribute to her. She's not Margot in other ways, but she but she is in that. And I really wanted to capture that because I think, you know, and someone's asked me why is it important for women to feel that they're sexy and this I'm not saying I I'm not saying that. It just I means Margot just is. Yeah. She just like, you know, some people have brown hair, some she is a charismatic... she's one of those people, and we all know them, who are charismatic. No matter you know what, and she is that, and I think it's important to show that because I'm I'm not I'm not clear where those characters have disappeared to.
1: Yeah. I mean, making every woman over fifty a sex harem no. is equally it's wrong, equi- but exactly we should have them. be who we yeah. are and who we want to be exactly, and, um, you know, and we should allow the women that we read about to be the same. Yeah. And it, we don't want everyone to be the same because we're not all the same, but it's about representation of exactly. reality. You know, we can't retire till we're 70, almost now. So, yeah. you know... you. I know, exactly. So, you know, we've got to be there, haven't you've we? You've got to be vibrant and yeah. keep with the times and stay relevant
2: and stuff if you want to continue your career. Yeah, and so. I, I, I didn't want to... You know, I didn't. I wasn't trying to say with Margot, you know, th- this is what I think all women of her age should be like. That is just Margot. That's who yeah. she is. That's how she came to me. She came to me like that, fully formed, um, you know, and, and, and many people, you know, in many ways, she's very, she can be a nightmare. But but yes, she she's not kind of a helpless person sitting there waiting for someone to show her how to do things. Yeah. Um, and she won't ever be that. Um, in my next book, I have Mary, who's 70, Um who's so different from margot um but very much beloved in my heart already i keep thinking i've been thinking about her a lot today someone who doesn't want to be old um whose friends are all dying but who is you know very much still you know again not a victim not a very very graceful and kind and compassionate so quite different from margot so yes i'm not i i don't want it to be look like i'm saying that all women have to be like that and care about clothes and all the things that margot cares. that that's just who she is but yes i agree with you carrie let's have more for god's sake these women are propping up publishing (laughs) buying all the books and why aren't we seeing a variety of older women? You know, and there are people doing a great job, as you know, we saw on Twitter when I was asking about yeah. it. You know, someone quite rightly mentioned Fanny Blake's brilliant characters. Yeah, yeah, and they're great. And Veronica Henry's, and 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 you know Jojo Moyes' latest book is a woman in middle age, and so on. So it is happening, of course, as as a lot of the big fiction female brands grow older, they're taking their audience with them, and they are exploring that. Um, so that's good.
1: Yeah, I think there are many ways to live a life at any age. But exactly. But I think for society as a whole to kind of pigeonhole and stereotype women from a certain age, which has kind of been the case for all time, but it's changing, but, but changing so slowly. Too and slow. see that in the pages of a book, as you say. I mean, uh, Veronica Henry's most recent couple of books have been brilliant in that respect. Um, yeah. And there are writers doing it brilliantly. So, yeah, it's, we just it's need more of them. I we mean, need more.
2: I love a coming of age novel, like everyone does. Um, but I just, I do find, and I always have in books, I mean, I think there's that, There was, a, it was a brilliant revelation to me, you know, in Little Women, when Marmy, who. Uh, Up until the point she says this, like all readers, I thought she was this paragon of grace and virtue and selflessness, and really, let's be honest, a bit too good to be true. Then she has that incredibly revelatory scene with Joe, where she says to Joe, "You know that she's angry every day of her life, and that she's struggled with it, and that you." And I I remember the effect that had on me as a as a child, because I thought. Once you were grown up, you were grown up and you sat in a chair and you dispensed wisdom and and, and you didn't do much and you certainly didn't keep growing and changing and developing. That was my view of being a grown up. It's something that happened overnight and stayed. And when I read that, I saw that that wasn't the case for mommy, that that was an ongoing challenge she had every day of her life. Um, And I think from that point on, I sort of fell in love with the voice of experience and wisdom in books, which is why some of my favourite books are the generational, the multi-generational from the Joy Luck Club, you know, to what's the wonderful, the Elizabeth von Armen enchanted april where you have a collection of different age of women all going to italy and you get the different and then you get the different voices the different and you get the young versus experience i love that contrast
1: and just because you're older doesn't mean that you as you say wise and sorted life is still very much a learning curve so it's really exactly. nice to see that
2: reflected i think that's right and i think that's what we need
0: before we leave you to get on with your day the biscuit of choice for this week is the shortbread um it kind of looks like a walker shortbread but it's the sainsbury's version sainsbury's own um i love a shortbread so personally, um. I would give it probably a seven because even though I love a shortbread, I love a shortbread in something. So for me, at a six and a seven because it's just a shortbread on its own. But what, what do, do you mean think? a
2: shortbread in something like so a like, you
0: know, like a chocolate covered shortbread oh. or like um, my one of my favorite biscuits is the Viennese. Um, like sandwich, and it's almost like shortbread and shortbread with a bit of chocolate in the middle. Basically, I love chocolate and shortbread. So if it's shortbread with chocolate, it's going to be like almost a 10.
2: So I think this is a classic. I think that you... But you have to be... It's quite filling. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to be feeling
0: hungry. It's all the butter.
2: (laughs) And uh, so I would. what I would say is have... This, for me, takes me to kind of like one of those hotels... (laughs) Mm -hmm. in the countryside with like maybe a tartan armchair (laughs) and a really nice big pot of tea and a fire and then one of these would go perfectly
0: and I would give it a seven yes okay fantastic and Carrie's in the room Carrie what would you give it out of ten yeah okay so we've got we've got three sevens for mm. the shortbread that's pretty unanimous but yes i always think of the walkers because the walkers have the tartan yeah, yeah, uh, right. cover on them so i always think of like yeah the big tartan chair or even like you know the scottish countryside or mm. something you know nice. with them yeah the nice, nice to be there. Tea. yeah wouldn't it well thank you so much for coming in thank today. You for having it's me. Been so amazing <laughs> listening to you talk about your book and congratulations as well thank you and that's all for this week We can't thank Georgina enough for coming onto the podcast we absolutely loved having her in the office to talk about biscuits books and the wonderful Garnet Girls we're already so looking forward to Georgina's next book and we'll keep you all updated when we know more thank you all for listening and as always if you share our episodes on social media don't forget to tag us at legend underscore times on instagram and at legend underscore times underscore on twitter we absolutely love to see it. Tune in again next week to listen to the wonderful, the fantastic, the magnificent Holly Ringland talk all about her wonderful new novel coming out on the 6th of July the seven skins of esther wilding not only is esther wilding already a bestseller in australia but holly's first novel the lost flowers of alice hart is now a major prime tv show featuring sigourney weaver which is coming out this august i cannot tell you how amazing it is chatting to holly and to talk to her about her writing her process and her novels she's an absolute joy to listen to until then have a great monday everyone